to being who they presently are. Nobody is confined to remain who they are. And each one of us needs to work toward being who God planned for us to be. So you come as you are to church. You wear clothes that you are comfortable wearing. You be your own unique self. The church should be a safe place, free from hate, gossip, ridicule, and grudges. Those sins have no place in the church. But if you need help, anticipate someone helping you. Church, though, even though it should be a safe place from gossip and hate, it should not be a safe place from being challenged to grow. We need to judge and help one another out on things that matter. And that's love, really, when it comes down to a tough love. But the kind of love that transforms us from our sinful tendencies into more of who the person God wants us to be. God loves us the way we are, that's true. But God loves us too much to allow us to remain the way we are. He wants us to grow more and more into who he plans for us to be. So if you're part of this church, you've joined together in a family to be held accountable by one another. And you have committed to hold others accountable if needed, all for the sake of encouragement and spiritual maturity. Let us learn to love and be loved, even when it is difficult, so that the mission of Jesus for us to be disciples and help others become disciples is realized in our midst. It's written in Proverbs. These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. So don't tell the wicked, hey, that's okay. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Kisses the lips must have just been a, a good phrase back then. It's awkward today if I go around kissing people in the lips. But that's the idea. In America, though, we exalt the ideals of individualism. And it comes out in the phrase, you can't tell me do and self-expression which comes out in the phrase just be yourself we even hear that you are perfect the way you are born and to corroborate these american ideals the world has adopted a teaching of jesus they love one teaching of jesus and that is judge not and you shall not be judged the world just throws that one around they throw it in our face as christians and you would think that the world just loves jesus and follows jesus by how much we hear this phrase judge not and you shall not be judged what's that that makes you christian, that makes you christian? <laughs> yeah not that most actually know the context of this verse they utter because in the context which we'll get to in a few bits few minutes it is actually teaching us how to judge. In contrast to the meaning of this statement, which taking out of context, Jesus also taught, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And before we continue, though, I want to clarify what this word judge is, because maybe we bring a whole lot of baggage to this word, and I just want to talk about the word that's used in Scripture. The word translated judge here just means to make a decision on whether something is good or bad, whether something is right or wrong. It has a legal use, and obviously we still have it in that connotation today, as we have judges. And a judge gives the legal decision on whether something is legal or illegal, 
whether it was good behavior or wrong behavior. But it also can be used in private context. It means to separate the good from the bad, the grain from the chaff. Or a modern day equivalent, it would be like choosing who is the best players on a ball team in order to pick the all-stars. Or maybe, as I do it, I sneak all the rye chips out of the Gardettos just because I've judged those are the best. Or it's a teacher critiquing a kid from doing something they are doing wrong so that they can learn to do it right. So judge doesn't have to have the negative context that we always carry with it. Jesus actually teaches us to do this, to judge. And he wouldn't teach us to do something that's a sin. So there is a place for judging others in our lives despite the culture around us telling us, do not judge lest you be judged. Here's what Jesus taught. I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not as it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, you are angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So they were being legalistic, and they got mad at Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Yet they do stuff on the Sabbath, so Jesus is saying, just judge things rightly. Judge with right judgment. In contrast to our culture's doctrine of tolerance and the doctrine of permissiveness, Jesus actually tells them to judge things rightly. We're called to lift a brother or sister out of sin when we see them sinking in it. And we can't do that without judging that the behavior they are mired in is destructive, that it's wrong. So how do we judge rightly? Let me give you a practical example without giving too many details. A while back, I approached someone who was participating in a behavior that was destructive to them and to this local church community. And this wasn't to the level of church discipline. It was just me reaching out saying, hey, you might not want to do this behavior because it's being destructive. And anyways, their behavior was causing a lot of problems for their life and for our church. And it didn't go so well. Instead of changing their behavior or considering whether their behavior was wrong, they immediately attacked me and they left the church. And that's pretty typical in modern day America. Instead of changing who God wants us to be, we attack the person delivering the message we disagree with and we just find a place that will accept us the way we are where we don't have to be encouraged to change. And, and this, this idea permeates our whole culture because then I'm the bad guy for doing any judging there. And one guy wrote on a, I was watching YouTube videos, I couldn't find an appropriate one to share, but one guy wrote on a YouTube video, a comment, that said, I've got way too many planks in my own eye to worry about anyone else's sin. Again, going back to the scripture we're going to read here in a second, our culture loves that passage. They just like to stop before the end. You probably also know the plank in the eye phrase. It comes from the same passage as judge not you be judged. But here we go. We're going to read this whole passage. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What do you see the speck? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? And that's where we stop. No, the next sentence actually then says what we're supposed to do. You hypocrite, first take that log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus' point 
is that we must use the same measure of judgment on ourselves. If we are going to point out someone's sin, make sure that we aren't struggling with that sin. Otherwise, we're a hypocrite. He says, though, first, that last sentence, first, take the log out of your own eye. And then, take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is not the same thing as saying, never tell anyone that they have a sin in their life because we're all sinners. It is not the same thing as be perfect before you can help anybody else with their sin. He's actually giving directions on how we are to properly judge one another. And yet this verse has been portrayed by our society as the no judging anthem of our culture. I had a friend write me a while back, and this friend, he was having trouble going to strip clubs and was looking for help in stopping. Now, I replied to him in the non-judgmental cultural way. I said, hey dude, going to strip clubs, that's fine. Who am I to say you shouldn't go to strip clubs? I, I hear you're having financial problems with going to strip clubs. Would you like some money to help you out? Who am I to say this is bad for you? And who are you, my friend, to say that going to strip clubs is wrong? Isn't that judgmental to other people who go to strip clubs? Doesn't your view denigrate everyone else? If it feels good and seems natural to you, go to the strip club. And that was my reply. He loved me. Or, as I did do, I said, hey, here's some things that I would do to help me get over that sin in my life. And then I proceeded out of love and regular prayer for him to give him suggestions of the things in his life that he needs to change to get at the core of the issue that's causing the sin. And it's been years since I had this conversation with this guy, and I revisited it this week, the whole thought. So actually, I gave him a call to see how things were going. How is this issue that you were struggling with years ago going on in your life? Because the issue is not strip clubs. That's just a surface issue. The issue is actually the distance between God and him. But using the argument made on YouTube, where it says that I shouldn't judge anyone, I wouldn't be able to tell him that going to strip clubs is wrong because I have sins of my own in my life. Because honestly, I'm not perfect. Those who are in my small group know that more than anyone. Um, who am I to help remove the speck from someone else's eye? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. If I also had a problem going to strip clubs and I was promoting strip clubs, or maybe I even owned a strip club, then I shouldn't condemn him for going to strip clubs. Because who would I then be in that place to talk about the peril of strip clubs? But strip clubs is not my struggle. Not that I don't have other problems in my life, but in this case, I was appropriately positioned to help my friend out. So we help others out where we are strong. And they help us out where they are strong. And that's sort of what that whole imagery is getting at. You don't try to condemn somebody or help them out of something that you struggle with or even struggle with more. But we don't have to be perfect to practice righteous judgment. If that were the case, we would never be qualified to help anyone out because all of us are sinners. All of us are works in progress in need of the Savior we have. So for everyone who proudly proclaims, don't judge me. There are others through the righteous judgment of others who have changed their lives from what it shouldn't be to what it should be. And this has been true in my life many times. 
Others have seen areas in my life where I've needed to change. And they follow that observation up by talking to me about it. I remember once in college, I was actually kicked out of my small group for months because I refused to change on something. And they thought I was bad for the group, and they kicked me out. The odd thing is I hung out two days this week with two of those guys that kicked me out of that small group. But you know what they did? They, they loved me enough to kick me out to help me grow. They did this through example, and they did it through conversation, and they did it through relationship. And we need to do likewise with others. I would be willing to bet that everyone here has grown as a result of the loving and righteous judgment of another person. We have to be humble enough to allow growth to happen when somebody points out a wrong in our lives. Being rightly judged and encouraged to change is a great thing, and we need to realize that. And I know our culture tells us to not accept that, not to accept any criticism from others, that we're perfect the way we are, but the real growth happens when we see the sin in our life and we grow out of it. We must realize that we can't do life alone. We need one another. We were made to be in relationship with one another. And what I'm talking about usually works best through us having existing relationships. If you take time to judge, make sure you've invested in that person's life and you also take time to pray. But I want to clarify one thing. And this is the biggie. This is the biggie. Take this one away too. So be humble enough to be judged. But take this away. I think the church has gotten it all too wrong all too long. We don't ever judge those outside the church. We don't judge those who haven't come to us for help. Let me reiterate that because I think this is an essential concept. We don't judge those outside of the church. Paul explained it like this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, and they got it all wrong apparently. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you to not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, for is, is it not those inside the church? whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So we see some pretty clear teachings in this passage. One, we don't expect the world to not be the world. We don't judge the world. That's not our role. Two, we are to purge the evil person from among us. See, the Corinthian church had a person doing a terrible situation. And, and what the church did then was apparently attacked people outside the church while letting the terrible situation continue on inside the church. And Paul's saying, no, stop the terrible situation from inside the church and don't worry about the people in the world being the world. The world will be the world. But the church is supposed to be a shining example of what God intended the world to be. The church is supposed to be the kingdom of God here among us. And I understand that this teaching of judging and correcting goes against some of society's deeply held convictions. It also ruins a lot of our Instagram and Facebook memes where we want to attack people. But we exist as a church to be disciples and help others be disciples. And if the behavior of someone in a church reaches a level that it begins to destroy the mission of the church, then we as a church need to deal with that behavior. 
we need to purge the evil from among us. Harsh words, but necessary for us to be the church God wants us to be. So let me reiterate this big point. We are never to judge people outside the church. Don't judge the world. Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The same should be true with us. We are not here to judge the world, but to be involved in the process of Jesus saving it. We are part of Jesus' redemptive plan of the world, making the world the way God intended it to be. And we can't be that if we aren't being who God wants us to be. Christians have a bad reputation because we get it all backwards, just like the church in Corinth was doing. We have become known as haters and judges of the world rather than people who are redeeming the world, rather than people joining in on Jesus' attempts to save the world. Instead of the reputation the church has had, we need to gain a reputation of being lovers of the people in the world. The Bible teaches that everyone has worth as a Christian. God, but each have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is a sinner. And Jesus established the church as this place throughout centuries people can come to and grow into who God wanted them to be. We are all about being different tomorrow than we are today. We are not where God wants us to be, and that's why we choose to come and assemble together on Sunday mornings. Nobody here is where God wants us to be, yet we are on a journey to become more and more like that. Together and as individuals. Despite all of its flaws, I love the church and what Jesus meant for the church. We are far, far from perfect, but it is beautiful when we gather together, heading in the right direction, and start making an impact on this world in the way Jesus would have us. Paul described this purpose like this, and this is one of the more beautiful sections of scripture, I think. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The world says, and this view has infiltrated the church, that we aren't supposed to judge. And the world thinks, and I would argue rightfully so, unfortunately, that Christians are too judgmental. What we need to do, though, is learn to direct that judgment in the right direction, to learn, as Jesus said, to judge rightfully. We need to learn to judge each other in a Christ-like and righteous way and clean up our own act. And we do this in love for one another so that we can be the witness of God to this world that he always wanted the church to be. And it takes us having right judgment toward one another to do that. And so right judgment, as Jesus described, on our part toward one another. And to bear one another's burdens, as Paul instructed, to help others carry their burdens. Judging is necessary. Healthy and helpful judgment, though. Necessary judgment. So remember, we are only to judge 
those really in the body. We are never to judge the world. And this goes against our instincts, I think. But we're not supposed to judge the world. But we're supposed to judge each other and help each other improve, bear one another's burdens, so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. So I want to encourage you this week, judge one another. And be open to being judged so that we can be more of who God wants us to be. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for you know, Jesus' teachings and how they challenge us and help us to be who you want us to be. And I just pray that you would reveal to us the sin in our life, whether that is from a loving brother and sister this week. Um, and I pray that we would all be humble enough to change and grow and to be more of who you want us to be. Help us to just be people that are a shining example of what your plan for humanity is and help that love to so fill us that it overflows into those around us, not with judgment, but just with overwhelming love for what God wants them to be too. Work in us. Change us. Here's something we pray. Amen. If I could have uh, Stacy done out here. Brandy. You're not over here usually. Brandy and Betsy, if you'd be up here for prayer, if anybody needs prayer for anything, anything you're struggling with, um, they'll be glad to judge you today and help you through it. <laughs>